0: Hi, and welcome to Library Staff Love Learning Twitter Spaces. We are, oh, that's exciting. I have people that want to talk to me, so I'm just going to get them up. So I'm going to bring in uh, Will first. So can you um, just request to speak? And um, I will uh, say yes. And then also, Alison as well, can I get you to request to speak? And I'll get you set up as a speaker. Um, anybody who's listening at the minute we're just sorting ourselves out the the chat will start at seven o'clock so you'll just have to please um, uh, bear with us until seven so I've just noticed that uh, Jim is also on can you send me a request to speak and um, I will set you up so Alison well done okay so hopefully Alison you can now speak Well, then look so just just unmute yourself a second and say hello to me. Hi. Hi, that works. Perfect, okay. brilliant. Okay, I'm just gonna, so I have the two speakers. That's good. I'm just gonna admit you in, hopefully. Uh, Alison, just mute yourself again. Uh, Will, can I just check that you can speak to me? Hello.
1: Hello, that's
0: hello. good, that works. Lovely. That's perfect, thank you. And um, Jim, can you talk to me? Hello. Hello. Right. That's a good start. I have three speakers. So that's a good start. Right. Now I need to find uh, my co-host. So Ruth's here, which is good. Um, hopefully I can. Oh, let's not do that. Unmute myself. That helps. Um, Bruce, do you want to say hello to me? Hi Ruth, can you hear me? Hi, uh, sorry. Yes, I can
2: now. Yeah, I could hear you, but I couldn't speak. I'm with you now.
0: That's all right. I think, I think I managed to press the mute all button, but I will try oh, not well to do that later on. <laughs> it's good to talk to you, Ruth. I'm going to try and make you a co-host if I can perfectly. Um, and then if it all goes to pot, you you um,
2: it's all on me. Yeah. Okay. It's on you.
0: Yeah. Okay. So hopefully that is co-host. Uh, hopefully you should have an invite and will be co-host soon lovely that's good so so if anything goes to pot then, then we are we have somebody who can take over we once had one night where my um, internet went down and nobody knew what it was doing and, and it just switched off so hopefully now that Ruth has got control as well if one of us have problems it will all be fine It's lovely to see so many of you with us tonight. Um, Sabrina, would you like to come and be co-host as well? Would you like to ask to speak, request to speak for me? And then I will make you co-host too, and you also can be responsible. That would be nice, wouldn't it? So while I'm waiting for Sabrina to request to speak, um, I'm just gonna say to the speakers, what I will do is I will introduce the topic. I think I will have, um, uh, we'll start with um, Alison and then um, we will then have um, uh, Jim and then I'll come to Will. I think that makes a more logical um, uh, chat. The idea is that we're just gonna um, introduce you chat about the topic and um if you want to come in and speak when somebody else has said something at the bottom uh right hand uh there's some icons at the bottom of your screen you can press them and there's a raise your hand button like you can see that i've just done now um if you can just uh press that and when you speak then it should uh automatically remove it but mine obviously hasn't so somebody out there you go it's gone um, it's as simple as that. We we should just be able to um, crack on and uh, start chatting. I can see it's a minute to seven o'clock, so I will take a bit of a breath um, and then I will start us off. So I'm just delighted that you're all here. Right. So welcome to the first Library Staff Love Learning Twitter Spaces chat um, for the new school year i hope that you have all managed to get back into school and it's not been too manic i know at this time of year it it does get pretty crazy so we thought we would give you um a you know a week before we launched into our first one ruth um i hope you've had a good summer um ruth is my co-host have you uh, has your summer gone well
2: Yeah, all good. But it's lovely to be back, actually. Um, Yeah, really nice to be back in the school and and back with the kids.
0: Fantastic. And um, Sabrina is our new co-host. Can I just say hello to Sabrina? Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us. Have you had a good start to the school year? Uh,
3: Yeah, my my first week back has been really busy, really chaotic. um, But it's been really nice to see all the kids again and just catch up so much fun fantastic well i'm delighted
0: that you can both join me so this evening we are talking about um buying book stock um it's something that every school librarian has to do um we when ruth and i and uh, sabrina were planning this session it was about you know we have so both, both ruth and sabrina are school librarians currently um and i'm not so you know, I personally am not coming from um, uh, an area, uh, I'm not claiming to be an expert in this at all. I just want to highlight that first. Um, we are planning just to chat about how um, people choose books, how librarians choose books. Um, obviously, with diversity being such an issue these days, how do we ensure that our collections or your collections are diverse? Um, there's a question about Quantity, which I spelt wrong in my advertising, or variety. Um, do you know, are multiple copies better or, or one of everything? What do you think? Um, the bit that interests me, I think, is finding gems that aren't on the bestsellers list. I think that, that was a, a question that Ruth came up with. Um, and I think it's very easy for us to rely on, um, you know, uh, book lists that come out um with the the best sellers you know we all know how to do that but is there a way to find something that aren't on the best sellers lists and and you know we have this thing about about you know budgets are decreasing budgets really are um plummeting so how do we manage how do we you know still run school libraries in an effective way without the budget um, the idea is we will chat for about 20 minutes, half an hour with our guests, and then we will invite anybody um, who's online listening um, live to, to come and join the conversation. If you've got something to share with us, um, request to speak. And um, if you've got a question to ask any of us, then, then please, you know, again, request to speak. So I'm going to start off by um, inviting Alison to tell us a little bit about herself. When we were looking at um the list, list of the people that we wanted to speak to, it was important for me to bring in somebody who was well read. And Alison came across my Twitter, I came across Alison's Twitter feed, and um trying not to spoil her thunder, she is or was a Carnegie and Greenaway um judge, which to my mind is somebody who reads extensively because I know that I would never have managed to ever be a judge because my reading is so slow. So um, with that in mind is why I invited Alison up. So Alison, welcome this evening. Thank you for joining us.
4: Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, Yes, you are correct. I was a a judge for the Carnegie and the Kate Greenway medals for 2020 and 2021. and you're right, it is an awful lot of reading, um, but I absolutely thrive on that. So um, that is a really fantastic um, opportunity. If anybody ever gets the chance, I wouldn't pass it up. Um, I am a school librarian in Cardiff and... Um, Diversity and inclusion is, is really big for us as a school this year, but it has been very much on my radar since I started, which was eight years ago. It's my first library that I've ever worked in, so it's the only role I've held. And, um, yeah, as I say, it's it's been been on my radar the entire time. We've just done some fantastic work with Sean Delenti, and um, it was a source of great pride that the library was... Um, uh, comment from, from staff members um, with regards to what we stock and how we stock it. So, um, yeah, it's very, very positive.
0: That's fantastic. So, obviously, obviously, being a Carnegie judge meant that you read a lot and, and even just reading the shortlist, there's a diverse list of books there, isn't there? Do you find that reading books that are out of your... Um, uh, comfort zone is the word that's come to mind but that isn't what i mean the genres that you don't necessarily choose they they come up on those kind of lists don't they do you find that that having making making yourself read those kind of books Do you think that that helps with your book selection
4: um yeah it absolutely does and i think it's really important for librarians to uh, to read um books that they wouldn't necessarily choose themselves um i have we, we and um you know I'm I'm not massive on sports stories um and I'm not big on horror um and actually I found that some of my favorite books off those lists um were from genres that I I never would have have um chosen for myself so yes it's absolutely vital because um if we only read or we only buy in books that appeal to us obviously we're offering very narrow so yeah, really important.
0: Absolutely, and actually, um, funny enough, you know, um, Jim is is an expert in horror, which is why I'm really pleased that he's come along this evening. But one of the what you've just said about um, reading something that isn't in isn't the kind of things that you would choose, but actually find you enjoyed it. And I had exactly the same experience reading um, the shortlist when. Marcus Sedgwick came up on on one of the shortlists. Um, my sword hand is s- singing, swinging. Um, I read, and and actually, I had to admit that that I did enjoy it. So even as adults, you know, being made being made to read something else sometimes does surprise you, doesn't it? It's it's not always what you expect.
4: Absolutely, and I have discovered some new favorite authors that way. So I'd never read any Melinda Salisbury, um before. Uh, my first year as a judge and um, read I've read a couple of hers now actually she's one of my favorites and her most recent proof landed on the doorstep and I had to read it in the night because I just couldn't wait to get through it so it's really lovely actually when when they um, exceed your expectations like that and I wouldn't have had that experience if I hadn't been sort of pushed out of my comfort zone so yeah it's really really good. Absolutely
0: there's in there as much uh, for us as adults as it is for the children so that's that's really good actually because we've started talking about horror a little bit um i am going to invite um jim to come and talk to us i'm going to pass on the questioning to ruth at this point because if i'm honest um horror you may have guessed it is not my thing um i know that ruth um uses the lists that jim produces if i've got that right to buy stock for her library. So over to you, Ruth.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So I first came across uh, the website uh, which is called Ginger Nuts of Horror um, because of the lists of top 50 YA or children's horror books. And I don't know, it seems to be common amongst us that horror is not my thing. and so I was really pleased to see it, but not only to see a list, but such thorough reviews. And for me, you know, I I felt that they had been read and reviewed and quite often read and reviewed. I don't think it is Jim that does the YA ones, but by father and daughter, therefore two different generations. And I could really rely on those. You know i could I could get a good sense from those reviews of what I was buying and the age range it was suitable for, which is a massive problem if you're not familiar with the genre so I was really uh, when we were thinking about this topic, I was really keen to see if we could get Jim on to talk about it and really kind of you know help us understand how that process works and and, and what it's about so Jim, tell us about ginger Nuts of
5: Horror, please. Hi. Um, <clears throat> well, I set the site up originally, oh God, about 14 years ago, and it was always just something to pass the time. And then suddenly over the, the years, it's grown into this massive thing that's basically taken over my life. And it's always been one of the main factors of the site to promote diversity and to actually show the world that, that horror isn't what the majority of you people think horror is. You know, horror isn't just, you know, monsters ripping people apart. It's 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 probably the one genre outside of literary fiction that, that actually has the power to look at the human condition without any boundaries and without sort of any trappings of, of the genre itself because it's so wide and it just gets straight into the heart of what it is to be human. Yeah. Um, the 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 young adult stuff that that's mainly um, Tony Jones and his daughter that do that. Sadly, I asked if Tony Jones would like to do this tonight, but sadly he had a, a prior engagement, and he is in fact an actual school librarian, so he would have been absolutely perfect for this. Um, and his his insight into the the young adult side of it is is unbelievable. It's it's amazing. He he really has his finger on the pulse of of what works and uh, where the genre's going and and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, you're right, though, actually, because um, I've, you know, I've looked through those lists over various, you know, various different lists at various times and found things on there that I had already read and perhaps wouldn't have classified in my mind as horror. And that's it was quite, you know, it was a sort of awakening or a reminder for me that actually I'm in danger of typecasting it horror and similar to science fiction i'm not really a science fiction reader but you can do the same kind of thing with science fiction and the world building allows you to address all sorts of issues obviously that um you know relate to our world and but i do have exactly that problem so lists like yours are phenomenally helpful um even if just to remind me not to close my mind off to the to the
5: literary, to the to the genre. Yeah, I mean, I do think that out of all the genres, ho- horror is always the sort of the the black sheep, the the dirty cousin that nobody wants to talk about because so many people have this misconception about it. I mean, I've just finished reading this fantastic anthology from Titan Books, edited by um, Dan Coxon, called Isolation, and the main theme of it is in response to the pandemic, but without actually talking about it. So it is, it's about how we feel isolated within society, within our family, with even within ourselves. And the range of stories in there is is amazing that you've got one story from an amazing American author called Owl Going Back, who is basically a last man on earth and he's battling Aswang vampires, um, which, you know, sounds like a typical cliched horror story, but it still has this power to be very, melancholy quite sad because it's based on on Native <laughs> Americans um, and one of the most frightening stories in it it's a simple story about this woman who just goes into her house and locks herself in there and never comes out and that's basically all that happens in the story but the way it's written it's it's quite devastating and and it really breaks your soul when you when you get to the final the final reveal of, of what's going on and yet nothing horrific in it happens and if people can understand that then I think you know we could actually make horror something that it's that that people don't think it is and it really really upsets me when people just I don't read horror it's just nonsense when horror has got some of the strongest fiction certainly in the small publishing world coming out at the moment it's it's an amazing place to be right now especially with the diversity. We've, it's always been one of the genres that's um sort of embraced diversity. I mean you, you look at you know our <coughs> Clive Barker, who you know the, the spokesperson for diversity and horror now you know 15 years ago you wouldn't have you wouldn't have seen any diversity but now there is it's 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 a wonderful place to be right now and there's a story for everybody I think there in the horror genre.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. And actually short stories I often find are our way into a new genre. And and mm-hmm. from a school librarian's point of view, <clears throat> excuse me, short stories are something that I'm always we're always interested in because uh, for our GCSE students, I'm a secondary school librarian, for our GCSE students, we're always looking for short stories and that ability to write so powerfully about something um is really you know, it's really useful for them, but is also um, particularly if you, you know, to, to change people's view of the genre is, is really helpful. That's fantastic. Do you think that book, Isolation, is suitable for young adults?
5: Well, yes. I'm one of these people that, you know, I read my first horror book when I must have been about 12 when I found a paperback copy of James Herbert's The Rats in a garden while I was on my paper round. There's certainly, there's nothing overtly graphic. There's nothing overtly sexual. Um, it would probably be overall classed as what we, what we class as quiet horror, where nothing really horrific happens and the actual horror is all just on the the, the building sense of dread, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I would certainly say, yeah, I, I would, in the upper range, So you know, the sort of 15, 16, 18 year old, you know, the sort of fifth and sixth year at school we have in scotland i'm not quite sure how you classify it down down sort of england way but we have you know fifth and sixth year the last two years of school certainly certainly perfect for them
2: yeah that's really
5: helpful brilliant
2: um anybody else want to join in any questions for jim
0: okay but before you do actually Ruth, before you invite anybody else up i'm i just want to um invite up uh will who's been sat quietly (laughs) another one of our of our guests he has a slightly different um take on on stock selection so i will let him introduce him himself but but i met will when i was um working and supporting the reading roadmap um so so first of all will introduce yourself and then and then explain what it is that you do in order to to generate the collections that you send out as Reading Roadmap. That would be really useful.
1: Hi, yeah, so um, my name's Will. I'm a librarian. I work for the Islington Education Library Service, which is a school's library service, basically. Um, so we do all of the stuff that school's library services do or used to do when they still existed. Um, uh, but Aside from all of our standard sort of topic box stuff that we do to support our schools is we run um I suppose you could call it a reading scheme, reading challenge called the Reading Roadmap, which is uh it's lists of books from Key Stage 1 through to Key Stage 3. Um we update the lists every year. Um so you've got the key stage one map with 30 titles, a year three and four map with 40 year five and six map with 60 titles and year seven and eight map with 35. Um, and what we do is the list of books every year for each of those maps is we only pick books that have come out in the last 12 months. Generally, actually we find that we sort of pick books from the previous sort of from stuff that's published between, um, January and August, which is when we usually do the lists. Um, uh each author on the map only has one book um uh, one title per map so it's really to the idea of it is to have as big a range of genres i mean the the original point of it was we were asked by our schools oh can you just do us some lists of um genre uh some fiction for us and sort of evolved into this way of getting new contemporary fiction into schools. And really, I mean, the, the thing that I like about it in terms of sort of creating the list is getting new voices sort of heard. I, I we try to sort of stray away from putting the really big name authors on it I'm not saying that we don't, have some like really popular authors on there um but we try to keep on to having as many debut authors on there as we can some more like lesser heard voices in literacy um and it's, it's really about getting kids to discover as much fiction non-fiction as well we include on there but as much different things as possible. Um, I've found when I've worked in school libraries that obviously getting certain kids to read is difficult in the first place, but what can be even harder is that once kids have sort of got themselves hooked on, a, oh, I'm reading Goosebumps or I'm reading... Everyone be a kid. Oh, I'm reading this, I like this, and I'm I know I'm comfortable with it, so I'm just going to read this and I'll read the other books in the series, or I'll just reread this and I'll take this out again and again. And I found it was really hard as an adult to say to kids, Oh, I know you'll love this book, it's really good, and it's like the stuff you like. Uh, And that was always a struggle um, that I found. And what we kind of Found with the reading roadmap was that they they have these maps so it could be a map of the UK or a map of their individual area and each of the roads is a different genre with the books listed on it and all the kids have their own map and the onus is on them to choose from those books uh, it's not supposed to be this you must read this you are on this level you must read that it's really want if you want to start with what you're comfortable with graphic novels you know please start there that's fine
0: let me just jump what? in. Let me just jump in, Will. Um, yep. So, so when you're selecting the books, presumably you have people reading them before they go onto your roadmaps. Yes. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that kind of process. Who who reads them? What, what? How do you decide what makes the cut? Um, you know what? What actually gets you to to the list, as it were?
1: So uh, it's very long. there's because we do key stage one to key stage three and we do genre fiction um there's a lot there's a lot of books published every year it turns out and um yes we do have to narrow it down to um very specific amounts so we when we start doing the research um it's usually me starting off at the beginning Uh, It's just time. It's having time to do the research, to be able to look through new releases. Um, Just as a tip, uh, my first sort of tip for uh, book selection, actually a a tool that I've always found really useful, is Peter's website, actually. Um, Not sponsored by them, but their website, once you get used to the sort of finickety ways of... um, how things are listed and things like that, once you get into be able to using keywords um, being able to to sort of filter through by genre, filter through by what they list as um, interest age and reading level age, again, that's not always absolutely perfect, but it gives you a good sort of general idea um and sort of from there, we'll put together kind of, I suppose, a little bit like Carnegie will have a long list of basically, this is everything um, that we think sort of fits in with these genres that's come out. And then it will go down to shortlisting. And basically, that is us selecting books that are going to fit a range of reading abilities. So... The the maps that we send out, we send out to schools that are, we know are going to have a variety of reading levels. Um, and, for example, we've got the Year 3 and 4 map, the Year 5 and 6 map, and the Year 7 8. There are books that could be on the 5, 6 that could also work on the Year 7 and 8. It's really a process of going through the books and making sure on each list that we've got enough books to cover each reading level and each interest level
0: so how do you how do you decide what is what is the right reading level do you know if we're talking about school librarians buying stock for their own libraries um you know like allison was talking about the carnegie lists and and now you're talking about your lists you you know you mentioned Peters as a website is do you do you actually get around to reading everything or is it do you not have Do you have enough knowledge of the fiction that you're buying that you actually don't have to do that?
1: Uh, So I definitely can't read everything. Um, So aside from roadmap stuff that I'm doing, I'm reading stuff just for my general day-to-day work, which includes non-fiction to cover all the curriculum. So I definitely don't have enough time to read everything. So it does, it's shared out with our other librarians as well. And we'll have a discussion about, What we thought, um, I mean, but also looking at other reviews of the titles online. um, Not always the the best source, but good books, you know, everyone knows that as a source. But it's really, yeah, getting together, going over what we thought about the books and also trying to get a feel of what is popular in schools. Um, So we have our own librarians that go out into schools and we have meetings with them. To sort of just get a feel for, you know, what's popular, but also what's not represented as much. Um, to Absolutely. see if we can try and push that.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, thanks, um, uh, Will for, for filling this in. It's really fascinating to know how other people actually buy the stock that's important to them. Um, can I just bring Alison back in? We've got. I've got this question, which is which I spelt badly on my advertising: quality or variety? Are multiple copies better, or one of everything. What do you reckon?
4: Um, I don't know. I mean from from a personal viewpoint, at school, we don't have room to stock multiple copies of of books. So I tend to go um for a a one of everything approach. Um, that being said, there are certain books that if I come across other copies, sometimes we have books bought in for us by pupils, um, I will stash certain titles because I know that we're going to lose, lose or have uh, damaged um, stock. So then we always have something um, to replace. Uh, but generally, I would say that broader variety for us works better. It might not work better for everybody, but for us, it definitely does.
0: And and how how do you find the gems that aren't on the bestsellers lists? What what's your you know what what's your go to resources that will help you find what you need?
4: Um, there are a couple. Um, you can make really good use of Twitter. Um, I follow lots and lots of authors and lots and lots of publishers on Twitter. Um, and generally you can you can spot um hidden gems that way. Um, another thing that I like to do is if I read something that's by um, a fairly well-known YA author, for example, if I read something that's by Jason Reynolds, um, I might go and have a look and see what he's currently reading and what he's recommending. Um, I found some really good stuff that way. And I guess the other way is by making friends with some of the smaller publishers. So um, I get in touch quite frequently with the guys at the Emma Press um, just to find out what's going on with them what they've got coming up um they send me the newsletter but i do email them outside of that and i do that with a couple of different publishers um, and that can be a really nice way of engaging them in conversations about the things that they've got coming up that they're really excited about that perhaps you wouldn't otherwise see
0: absolutely i think i think it's really important that we do rely on other experts for our stock selection um do you know the the one that springs to mind because it's sitting in front of me at the minute is this is this school librarian from the SLA, has a lovely list of books <coughs> within their yes. magazine, and it, and it's that kind of thing that helps, isn't it? That that other people are reading and recommending, and and it's that's a huge, huge way forward. I think I like the the idea of of pub, pub, you know small publishers. That's really important. Um, I I think that's probably the same for horror isn't it do you before i bring um jim back in do do you buy horror Alison?
4: um i do yes uh, but i tend to be guided um i mean my my reading is much much broader it has to be said since i was a a ckg judge absolutely um and so there from speaking from today there is no genre that i will not touch um, I will have a go at absolutely everything. And I'm quite confident. But um, I know that our pupils um, have got very specific tastes, particularly when it comes to things like horror. Um, and so I do allow myself to be guided by them a little bit. So we will have a chat um, they will make recommendations. I will go and do some research um, and then I may buy in the titles that they've asked for. And I may use those titles to kind of springboard to other titles. So, but yes, absolutely, I I would buy in horror, and I do buy in horror.
0: <laughs> That's good to hear when we have somebody with horror on the line, which is good. <laughs> oh, yes, <okay>. but... <laughs> <laughs> that was the right answer, Alison. Um, uh, Jim, let me bring you back in. Um, I I seem to have lost Ruth. So so our technology is not working. But but let me ask you when that when I've got very little real understanding of what it is that that you do your website reviews horror for all age groups is that right
5: yeah uh-huh yeah um we've even reviewed uh well i, I did a feature years ago on um Thinking dings and the uh, ghostly things was it frightening things that's it by i can't remember the name of the author guy bass that's him and that that's a book basically aimed at um five-year-olds but it's it's as i've always said to me scooby-doo is is the greatest and longest existing horror franchise in the world so so yeah well we we, we cover everything from from dinking dings right up to some books which which i probably would get, well, i would never recommend to people unless i knew they would specifically enjoy that type of horror um you know i mean oh yeah i keep saying about but, but horror for everyone i mean my mum Ultimate favourite book of all time is um, the Halloween Tree by Ray Bradbury, and I must have about fifteen different copies of that book. And to me, it's 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 the greatest book ever written, and it's the greatest horror book ever written. But a lot of people won't see it as horror, but 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 it, but it is a horror book, and it's probably the greatest as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's the greatest kids' book ever written as well. It's 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 a book where you read it and. <clears throat> You want your kids to grow up to be like the main character in the book. It's 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 a wonderful book that, that fills you with joy, but it also fills you with, with a bit of dread. And at the end, you if you're like me, you're in tears reading it just by what what this person's friends do from if you, if you've not read the book, and I certainly don't want to spoil anything for it because it's, it's such an amazing book.
0: It's certainly something that um that that you know I, I'm I'm the kind of person that
5: can't watch horror films. Which um, yeah. and- <laughs> I I do watch horror films, but I have to watch. I have to choose them very carefully because there's some horror films I I know I just can't watch. Um,
0: well, I must admit, I must admit to going off topic slightly. I watched Silence of the Lambs when it was all such a big the big rage, but I had to watch it during the day on fast forward, um, and that was the only <laughs> way I was going to get through it. And um, and I'm I'm a bit like that with horror. I need to know myself that it's not going to be really terrifying. Because I think actually when you read something, you can visualise it and make it worse than it is if your imagination is good. Does that yeah. make sense?
5: Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I, um, I read this Graham Masson book years ago called uh, The Walkers, and it's all about these people who escape from this institute uh, and they, they live in the walls and they can travel through different houses, through the walls and through the grounds, and I just finished it on the day before I went to who to my who's now my my partner, parents' house for the very first time. And it turned out that their house was built on the grounds of an old mental institute, and it was apparently haunted. And I refused to go upstairs at night. I stayed in the living room with all the lights blazing because I just could not go upstairs, thinking this this no too too much close to you know to what I've just read. It was terrifying. <laughs> so yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah.
0: So I think you know the the. the- yeah, I I think I think I have to, I need somebody to select my horror for me. I think, but to, so may, so maybe I'll be in touch, and 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 you can find something that I that you think I can cope with, because I quite like the idea of reading a little bit something that's a bit more meaty occasionally. Oh. Um, um, I'm just going to stop us a second, um, just to say that we've just gone through, past half past seven, um, we have the opportunity now for anybody that's online. If you have a question for any of our speakers or for ourselves, please just request to speak and I will invite you up. Either have you got something to tell us about the way you select your books for your libraries, or if you have a a specific question. I'm delighted to say that Deborah Perrin has requested to speak already. Can I say hello to you, Deborah? <laughs> hi, <laughs> hi, Elizabeth.
6: Lovely to have you back. Um, I, I, I did want to say something else, but when just listening um, uh, about horror, one of the things I read recently um, is that a lot of um, certainly children, um, teenagers as well, but children, so year seven uh, particularly, requesting horror. Um, and one of the reasons that was um, was muted was that because of COVID and and people being locked away um or even when we started coming out of covid only with people of their own age um they were not able to sort of get in touch with their emotions and so one way that they can really sort of connect with feelings apparently is to be terrified <laughs> um and it's it's so it's it's not people necessarily wanting to be horribly you know aggressive or gory which i think again those preconceptions can come into it but it's because they do awaken Um, a lot of feelings and emotions in people so I've been very grateful for the ginger nuts of horror um, particularly the you know the YA one that Tony does Um, so thank you for that Um, the other thing I wanted to say was one of the ways I choose I find those books that are um, off the beaten track was um, I follow an awful lot of blogs Um, And I don't necessarily, I sound really disrespectful to the people who are blogging, I'm so sorry, but I don't necessarily always read every single bit. But I will often just uh, put them all in a a folder somewhere. And when I've got a bit of time, go through them. And it's interesting to see that ever so often you'll find a book that keeps repeating and repeating. And you think, ah, lots of different people. I follow quite a lot of international bloggers as well. Um, so from Asia, Australia and the US. And if they're all talking about that book, but coming from different places, that's the that's way I get to find those that are just a little bit different. Um, and I also look um, every January, the American Library Association um, announced their awards. So I always look at those because although they're absolutely screamingly popular in the US, they don't always translate um, in, into the UK. Uh, they're not always picked up and promoted. So that's one of the ways that I find um, those uh, less well-known books.
0: Thanks, thanks, Deborah. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because, because certainly blogs, um, there are a lot of people blogging about books. Um, I have a feeling that Louise, who's online tonight, she might blog about books, but I might be wrong. Um, but I think it's really important that, um, uh, that we do take other people's opinions. And I think that's really clever, actually, Deborah, spotting the ones that keep coming up, uh, the ones that keep, um, you know, are obviously highlighted and, and are obviously popular Do you buy books from um, local bookshops or local book suppliers or local publishers? Of interest, Um,
6: mostly no. But we've had a new bookstore open in Brighton in the last twelve months called Afrory Books, and it's owned by um, a black woman, and she only stocks black authors and has events aimed around. Um, anything that's written or published by um, uh, black people mostly black British she tries to uh, because again you know America has such great buying power they're brilliant but they have such great buying power so we are heavily influenced Um, in fact I I was down there last Saturday Patrice Lawrence was talking Um, so I do buy from her and because we have Catherine Johnson coming in February I've also got um, a Flory Books to provide at a little bit of a discount um, the books to, for me to sell on to children but you know money we all know is more tight than ever so I am a big fan of Browns and Peters because of the 25 to 35% discount.
0: Absolutely and you've just brought us on nicely to one of my final questions this evening which was about you know how do we go about buying books with very little money? Um Does anybody, can I bring Alison back in maybe? Alison do you have any tips or tricks that you'd do with with the small budgets
4: that we have. Um, Yeah, I mean, um normally I'm a huge fan of buying um independent and when I'm shopping for myself, I absolutely do support my my local independent. Um that being said, when we've had events on um we do have a wonderful um bookshop called Griffin Books in Penarth that do supply our books and they do offer a discount. Um, and they're fantastic. Um, but one of the things that I have done quite frequently since I started in my role is to utilise the Scholastic Rewards, um, whereby you run a you run a book fair. Um, it's been a little tricky because we can't have physical book fairs at the moment, um, but you can run them online. And every time people spend, you accrue rewards, which you can then. Um, you can ha- basically have it back in books, um, and that's fantastic. But you are limited in terms of the selection. Um, we also use a company called Laburnum. Um They do offer quite a hefty discount. Um, and the other thing that we do um, quite frequently is we'll get um, our pupils will come come to us when they're leaving, um, and quite often the very booky pupils will have accrued lots and lots of books over their time at school, and um, they very often will will leave them with me because they can't bear to take them to a charity shop so so they make their they make their way to our shelves and it's it's quite a nice actually because when you look at our shelves you can see a lot of our former pupils have heavily influenced how those shelves look which is really nice
0: yeah it is nice but but it's interesting isn't it because there is that that question about donated stock um mm-hmm. and and you know how difficult it is to manage it isn't it because if it's yeah. You know, old or not good quality, or mm-hmm. you know, um, out of date. Then, then you yeah. have to be selective, don't you? But, but do you, you have find
4: to be selective?
0: Yeah. Do you find that you? Uh, obviously, you know. Uh, what about what about um uh, donations of books from parents as they leave? Do you know, as the children leave. Don't, you know how? Well, um, you know, has that? Have you ever done that?
4: I'm I'm a little bit mean, um, and I have. Well, I mean, I'm saying it's mean. Um, I have said I tend to say no um, to everything um, unless I know what's coming. So normally with our pupils, they'll be able to give me. Um, a couple of a couple of titles, or they'll send me some photographs, and I can pretty much say yes or no based off of that. Um, generally, though, if you say yes, what you find is the door is open, and you you'll just come in every day, and there'll be bags and bags of. Books that, that people don't want. Um, and I think part of it's lovely. It's like people are so, um, they, they don't like throwing away books. They don't like moving books on. And I, I do understand the attachment. Um, but obviously, in a school library, you have to be very, um, very selective about what's on the shelves. Um, and you're always pushed for space. And um, I do think, you know, quality is very, very important. So I would rather have a bookshelf that is half empty but with good quality stock than a, a rammed full bookshelf of stuff that's old um, or, or not particularly good quality. So you do, you do have to think really carefully.
0: Absolutely. I so agree with you. Can I bring Sabrina in? Um, Sabrina, um, do you have any tips or tricks for, for buying stock when you've got no money?
3: Um, I'm a, a charity shop hunter. I go in every single charity shop that's got a bookcase in it, personally for me. So when I started working as a librarian, every time I went into a charity shop, if there was a cheap, popular children's book that I knew we needed a new copy of or could do with a second-hand one, I got it. Um, I find the Oxfam bookshops, their books are really high quality. So you pay a little bit more for them, but you're going to get a book that's going to look good on the shelf and is lasting. Um, So you do have to be a bit picky, but I find it's a great way to save a couple of quid here and a couple of quid there for the popular books. So then you can go and go and get your independent and your lesser-known books at full whack if you have to. You've got the spare cash to do that. But yeah, charity shops, I, I can't praise them enough.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I think things have changed over the years, haven't they? Because I know that, you know, showing my age now, 20 years ago, it, it wasn't necessarily something that school libraries would have to do, but actually things have changed, haven't they? And those those charity shops, finds those little gems that you find are, are certainly a good way of, of spending our, um you know, very restricted budgets. Deborah, did you, do you have any um, tips or tricks on how you save money in your library?
6: Um, yeah i certainly do all of those things um scholastic is coming to us in december um and i'm certainly a big charity shop thing but for the first time um i've got i had permission last year to write to all our year 11 families um and um and ask for donations towards books and i made a wakelet of books that i would really like um to have And I'm delighted to say I got £165, um, which was, I know, which was fantastic. And quite a few, I think it was about six or seven, which for me, I thought was quite a few. um, People actually emailed back and said, I'd really like to buy that one. And my child has said they've really loved this author. I had one parent say um, that they'd appreciated the Barrington Stoke books that we'd had in school and they know they're expensive. So they'd given me £20. And could I buy a, a couple of of Barrington Stokes which I thought was fantastic um I have to say an unpopular thing but I'm afraid I'd do it by the time they get to year 11 if they've lost a book unless they're PP or I know of other ex um, ex, uh, extenuating circumstances I'm afraid I charge them five pounds for a lost book and I had another hundred pounds worth of of, uh, money on that I, I I hate to do it but you know um, half the time, it's people who aren't readers. They've just been careless with the books. And, um, yeah, I've done done that, I'm uh, afraid. Uh,
0: see, I, I think, you know, it, it is it doesn't hurt um, students to understand that actually they have to be responsible. Um, well, extenuating- over,
6: yeah, over COVID, I was quite upfront with them. And I said over over the 18 months of COVID, I wrote off um, well over a thousand pounds worth Absolutely. of books uh, yeah. because of extenuating circumstances. And I just said, I cannot afford to keep doing that. No. And as soon as I put it that way, rather than it was a punitive, you've lost that book, you horrible nasty child. You know, <laughs> none of that at all being very yeah. extreme there. I'd never say that. Um, but, you know, putting it that way and then and I, and I go to them, you know, that's actually less than half a pizza um so they they suddenly go oh yeah okay i'll do that so i know it's not a nice way of making money but actually it does um it does have an impact on your budget so that was 165 i got from the year 11s and just over 100 from last year's year 11s who've lost books
0: and it does make such a difference doesn't it it does make such a difference to to the books that you can put on your shelves so you know thank you for sharing that um deborah um well, obviously, it's slightly different for Reading Roadmap because, obviously, there is a budget. Um, But as a librarian, do you have any tips and tricks that you can suggest that we do with very little money?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, actually, uh, uh, definitely contacting independent publishers, like it's been mentioned before, um, a really good way of getting some stuff in. But to be honest, if you and it does take time because you, you know, the larger publishers, you're not always just given a clear route to anyone, but do have a crack at publishers because if they've got a new, especially a debut, uh, author that they're really pushing, uh, they'll, if you can get the right sort of sales agent, they will send you some free copies with some sort of promotional materials and things like that. Uh, it, is a lot of work. I've been putting in the time to sort of contact everyone to try and get some stuff. But I mean, even the the, the stuff we buy for the roadmap will still get some sent to us um, by the publishers with promotional material. Uh, another one as well. If you do, if you've got an independent bookshop near you, then that is that's an absolute gift. Absolutely, go there as much as, I mean not just in terms of saving money there with them, but in terms of finding just some new gems like you spoke about earlier, um, they're absolutely the best place to go because I know the people that run them have just got such great knowledge Uh, if you're in North London, Pickle Pepper bookshops in Crouch End uh, is, yeah, is amazing Um, but like like has been mentioned Peter's Browns, good discount Laburnum, really good Um, you can really find some really really good quality stuff at a really big discount
0: it's fantastic actually that's a really you know having having books to review is also a great way of of getting books into your hands that you haven't had to buy um sometimes um if you're on publishers lists it is about um uncorrected proofs that you're not supposed to pass on but occasionally you get the book, the finished gem that you are then going to review. They are great books that you can use for book reviews, um, book for book clubs, um, you know, so you don't have to do all the work yourself. So, you know, you can you can then give the feedback to the publisher, uh, you know, via your book club. Um, it's been a fascinating chat this evening. Um, we seem to have covered such a lot of things. Um, I am going to wind it up this evening. Um, And I just want to give people the opportunity to say, you know, um, one last thing. I'll give them a chance to think about it. One last thing, you know, how are you going to finish it off? What do you want us to know about about stock selection? Um, Before I do that, um, I just want to advertise the fact that on the 26th of September, Library Staff Love Learning Twitter Spaces is back. We are going to be talking about ebook collections. I do have a speaker from Belinda going to come along. We are still creating this session, but um, hopefully if you've enjoyed tonight, you will come back and um, join us again for that ebook um, ebook session. Also, um, I do want to say that the SLA are um, putting on a webinar called Back to Basics Spectacular Stock. Um, on the 29th of September. So if you are looking for more on stock selection, um, check them out. That's on the SLA School Library Association website. So let's bring you in for one last time then, Jim. Um, what would you like to finish on? What was your What's your final remarks for us this evening?
5: Um, just please read Horror. Uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised if you, you follow Certainly, check out my website because we generally only review the good stuff. Um, I, I give every book that gets sent in to, for review uh, at least one, two chapters worth of reading before I pass it on to the the rest of the view, review team. So if it doesn't pass my initial um, sort of critical look, then we don't pass it on. So you should... If you pick any of the books that we review, you should actually be pleasantly surprised. And check out the other websites. People like um, Horror Spotlight on Twitter—they're amazing. Michael Patrick Hicks does a lot of great reviewing. Um, Run along the shelves—they're fantastic fantasy book nerd. Check check them out. And there's a lot of crossover between us, but but they're they're the people that really know their stuff. So if you're wanting to dip your foot into the water, check check out those sites—they're absolutely amazing.
0: Thank you so much. And you definitely have um, tempted me to try out some horror. So so you might have another horror reader on your hands. <laughs> um,
2: excellent.
0: <laughs> um, can I bring um, Will back in for one last thing?
1: Um, yeah, I'd say, and I, it's been touched on before, but really try your hardest. And it, it really great that we've been talking about horror here is take uh, your bias out of what you're buying Um, there are things that maybe you turn your nose up at, you might have a kid at your school that's going to absolutely love that book uh, and absolutely love that author. So for me, the biggest thing is really taking that bias out and trying to understand that you might not like something, but, you know, someone else is going to love it. Uh, Just quickly to mention, from the the Greenaway and uh, Carnegie, I used to do that uh, back when I worked in school libraries, and I wouldn't have read The Bunker Diary, um, I don't know if anyone's read that here. I but...
0: have, I have. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I, I wouldn't have read the bunker diary, and a part of me wishes I hadn't. Me but too. But that book, <laughs> that book stayed with me like very few books ever. Since actually, that that book stayed with me, Absolutely. and I wouldn't have read it otherwise. Um, so do you'll surprise yourself uh, by it, just you expanding uh, your reading horizons. So yes.
0: Absolutely. So, thank you so. Yeah, and the bunker diary. Yeah, it's still with me. I can't get rid of it. <laughs> um. So, thanks very much. Well, I seem to have lost Alison off the chat. So, I just want to say thank you very much to her for for joining us this evening. Um, Deborah, seeming as you're here, um, do you want to say one last thing about what we're talking about?
6: Oh gosh, you put me on the spot now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I. Th- I think it is
6: about um really uh, knowing your collection knowing where your gaps are and as you, and as everybody has said being brave and and stepping out of your own comfort zones and uh, and reading different things i've spent the summer reading a lot of middle grade adventure which um i used to read a lot when my kids were younger but I've, I've gone off that a lot of that now. Coming back to it, it was a bit difficult for a first couple of them because I could see so much value in them, but I wasn't getting that same personal buzz. But I have to say, I've recommended, only been back in school probably eight, nine, 10 days, and I've recommended them so many times already. Um, and I think that therefore made it worth it.
0: Absolutely, I think it does make such a huge difference that reading it yourself. Um, you know stress that more I suppose and finally Sabrina thank you so much for staying with me this evening have you got anything finally you'd like to add to this
3: I think what everybody else has been saying if you don't know there is somebody out there on this global network that we have who does know go and find the specialists like Jim and his horror go and find the people who read all those middle grades that you haven't got time for Twitter is fantastic. YouTube is fantastic. And dare I say, TikTok is really good as well, people. You've got to dig for it, but some really good stuff on there. Just go out. There's somebody out there who's read a book that's cracking and you'll be, oh, I've got a student who wants that. I, that's the only way I cope because I can't read everything.
0: That's a perfect way for us to finish. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, Jim and Will and Alison, who's no longer here, Um it's you know these talks only happen by people giving us their time for free and and we'd really do appreciate it. So for any of you that have enjoyed the chat this evening, we will see you again on the twenty sixth of September, same time, Monday night, uh, talking about ebook e- collections. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Good night. Thanks.
6: Bye.
5: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Now. Bye. Bye.